Hello, this is Domine de Groot, or in English, I guess, Domine de Groot, from Audio Epics. I am the author of Witch Hunter, and this is the Witch Hunter Podcast. Every week we are releasing a new chapter of this dramatized audiobook, which you can obviously listen to for free on iTunes, the Stitcher Radio app, uh, many other places. And as always, I'm also here to inform you that Witch Hunter is also available, the complete story without my rambling in between, um, in one big epic go, if you want, um, as a download from the Audio Epics Bandcamp page, that's audioepics.bandcamp.com, audioepics.bandcamp.com. There you can find the Witch Hunter dramatized audiobook and also one of our other stories, The Will of the Woods. And you can also buy the Witch Hunter dramatized audiobook in the form of a nostalgic cassette tape, which is not actually a cassette tape, but a USB flash drive. And if you've been listening to this podcast, you're probably kind of sick of this description because I mention it every time. Both the download and the hard copy, the USB drive, um, contain a bunch of extra material, wallpapers, illustrations, a map of Seven Peaks where the story takes place, uh, the music score separately by my friend Peter van Riet, as well as a behind-the-scenes feature. Furthermore, Witch Hunter is also available as a novel. You can just read it. Um, you can read it as an ebook or as a printed novel. The printed novel is actually illustrated, and you can get both on Amazon. Now, mind you, there are a bunch of books out there called Witch Hunter, apparently, or something, The Witch Hunter's Adventures or something. So if you want to find my version, type in Witch Hunter and then my name, Domine, D-O-M-I-E-N, then um, you'll find the novel. But of course, I'm providing all the links in the show notes as well. This week, I'd also like to thank Matthew McLean from the podcast host podcasthost.com for mentioning Witch Hunter in a beautiful article and, uh, you know, calling us the <laughs> fiction podcast of the week. That was quite a lovely accolade. Thank you for that, Matthew. And now, without further ado, here is the next chapter of Witch Hunter. Lapsus Angelus The goddess, living in the never-ending expanses of the heavens, once possessed a daughter, known on earth as the ever-youthful maiden. When the goddess had crafted the earth as a gift for her daughter, she chose her prime angel to guide the maiden to the earth and show her the world for the first time. The angel's name was Lucus, a being both powerful and beautiful beyond measure, but also proud. Lucus brought the maiden to the top of the highest mountain on earth, so that she could witness the dawn of the world 
and she was so struck by its splendor that she wept tears that glistened on her cheeks with a shining silver beauty never seen before. It was in this moment that the passionate heart of Lucas was overcome with desire for the maiden. After he had fulfilled his task, he left the maiden to enjoy the young world, and he returned to the heavens, where he would continue his work for the goddess. And much time passed without event. One day, Lucas went to his divine mistress, and he said unto her, Great lady, long have I served you, and hard have I toiled, and never have I asked you for more than the honor and joy of fulfilling your noble commands. Indeed, Lucus, and I am grateful for it, spoke the goddess. However, when I saw your daughter's tears, I was changed wholly on the inside, said Lucus. For every hour of serving you has become an hour of missing her. I wish to see her tears again. Then the goddess looked at Lucus with a sadness he did not comprehend, and even as she held his truthfulness in high regard, she could not grant him his request. She spoke, Dear Lucus, I will not deny that you have always served me well, and you are deserving of my kindness. Therefore I will grant you your wish to see my daughter. But I say to you now, no longer should you desire her tears. There is a danger in that longing that is too great and terrible to comprehend, even for one as great as you. Lucas bowed and intended to obey her, even though he did not understand her words. Then he descended from the heavens to the earth to visit the maiden once more. Grateful for her mother's gift, the maiden had populated the earth with many creatures great and small, but chief among her creation was mankind. So great was her love for the men and women of this earth that she had given them an eternal soul. It was now that envy was felt for the first time in the history of the world, and it was felt by Lucas. Verily, he spoke to himself, if she would give these insignificant beings a gift as great as an eternal soul, why then will she not give me the small gift of her tears? And so Lucus decided to disobey the goddess, and he asked the maiden for her tears with a blasphemous prayer. I beseech you, dearest and holiest, grant me this gift, lest I be tormented forever. Verily to be given but a taste of a great gift, that is a cruelty far worse than never to be given anything at all. The maiden was touched by Lucas's words, but she spoke. Forgive me, dear Lucas, for I cannot give what you desire of my own accord, since only great beauty or great horror can draw tears from my eyes. Deeply disappointed, Lucas returned to his work in the heavens. During the day he followed the goddess's commands, but in long hours of the night he secretly toiled, determined to make a thing of such beauty that it could draw tears from the maiden's eyes. With all his skill and all his effort, 
he forged a great blade, shaped like the crescent moon lighting his work. When Lucas caressed its cold black metal in pride and adoration of his craft, the edge of the blade drew blood from his finger, and he loved its power and danger. Lucas also loved the deep, unreflecting blackness of the sickle, for he was an angel who thrived in the endless mysteries and possibilities of the night. While it was indeed a dark and dangerous artifact, the black sickle was the work of a heavenly creature. As beautiful a thing as had ever been made. Then Lucas returned to the earth and went to the top of the mountain from whence the maiden viewed the blossoming of mankind. There he showed her the weapon, offering it to her as a gift. While she was delighted by Lucas's craftsmanship, no tears formed in the maiden's eyes, and Lucas saw how she smiled as she regarded humanity, and he realized that her joy for the little people wandering the earth was far greater than anything he could ever give her, and so he became bitter and resentful. So great was his envy and his anger that he took his newly forged blade and descended down into the valley where the people lived and he murdered all of mankind. Save two, one man and one woman had managed to escape and hide in the caverns beneath the mountains. In his act of pure hatred, Lucas had turned away from the light, rejecting it for all eternity. From this moment onward, he was no longer an angel. His skin became coarse and black as burned wood, and his great white wings turned to clawed wings of leather. His eyes, which had once shone with the light of the stars, now glowed with the burning passion of malevolence. Long horns grew on his head, as his face was deformed. Lucas himself knew he had become the evil, and henceforth he would forever name himself thus. The next morning, the maiden once more looked down into the valley from the top of the mountain. She saw the gruesome work of Lucas, and her grief was unbearable. Then the new and corrupted Lucas came before her, towering high like a dreadful shadow. You would not give me tears of joy, he spoke with the voice of darkness. So now I will take from you your tears of horror. Now the maiden understood Lucas's terrible mind, and she fought her tears, refusing to give him what he had desired. Lucas's anger at last became so great that he took forth his sickle, which had turned as black and evil as he, and he slew the maiden herself with it. She could no longer fight her tears now, and as she died, 
the tears streamed like great rivers from her face and mingled with her blood, which refused to touch Lucas and streamed away from him. And so the mingled tears and blood of the sacred maiden formed seven sacred forms in which the virtues of the goddess would live and relive even after the maiden's demise. Lucas screamed in terrible joy at the sight of the tears, but as they fled from him with her blood, he knew what he had done and hated himself, and he has never stopped hating himself ever since. The last scream of the maiden rose up to the heavens, where they were heard by her mother, the goddess. When she learned what had happened, she cursed Lucas and banished him into the depths beneath the earth to contemplate his own horror. There, Lucas remains chained to this day, even while his strength grows with all the evil of the world that feeds him. Scriptura Sancta, Caput II, Lapsus Angelus Samina was seated at doctor's writing desk, wearing the cover of her bed like a long cloak, along with the humble light of a single candle. Outside, the wind was still blowing restlessly. At least the rain had stopped. The healer hung in his chair in an awkward position, snoring like an old dog. Ludlove lay behind her on the ground, with his coat as his only comfort. The one bed in the room had been empty since she had left it an hour ago, unable to sleep. Her thoughts had been a dizzying whirlwind of fears, memories and possibilities. She had relived her mother's death a hundred times. Whether asleep or awake, the barrage of thoughts and images would not leave her. So she had sought solace in reading as she had done when she had been small, before her family had become so poor that they'd had to sell all of her father's books. Her father had been a learned man. Her mother had often told her that. Samina didn't know. She had been so young she didn't remember much about him. Yet, oddly enough, this strange witch-hunter, if he really could be called a witch-hunter with all of his unusual ideas somehow gave her the feeling that a presence much like her father's was near. Like her father, and like Hans, Ludlove was a man from a world where everyone hated and distrusted anyone like her, and yet he did not. Samina understood that hatred for the unknown could be fed from childbirth, and often it was not people's own choice to hate. She also knew that love could change many things. She didn't know Ludlove's story, but she suspected love had played its part in it. She stared at the text she had been reading about the fall of Lucas. This, too, was a story in which love had mingled with grief. She had known it for years, but still it deeply unsettled her to read these words. 
Every time she heard or read this story, an ominous feeling came over her. Like it was not about something that had happened aeons ago, but something that was still going to happen. Something nearby. And yet she loved the story. This time reading it, though, she was more disturbed than usual, and it was not just because of the circumstances in which she was embroiled. It was a slightly different version of the story she had come to know over the years. There was no mention of stones, and many things were worded differently than in the old scriptura sancta her father had owned. One phrase in particular haunted her. She wept tears that glistened on her cheeks with a shining silver beauty never seen before. When Semina had read those words, her heart had stopped for a moment. In this story, the maiden had cried silver tears, like Semina herself, and she alone, of all people she had ever known. It was probably only a poetic use of language, a way to describe the maiden's beauty, but this tiny detail made her feel a deluge of emotions. Closeness to the maiden. Empathy for her pain. Sadness that the maiden, the most radiant and wonderful being of all time, no longer walked the earth. Loneliness at the thought that once perhaps someone had lived who would have understood what it was like to share her affliction, and that this someone would now never return. The only people to whom she could show her tears were beyond her reach now. Her mother had died. Tara and Hans were being hunted down, hopefully on the run before the death squads came. And Sigurd... Oh, how she missed Sigurd. Semina? Ludlov's voice sounded soft and worried, but still he startled her for a moment. Why aren't you asleep? She turned to him. I'm worried about my friends. Falkrin will bring them the message. That is our best hope for the moment. It did little to comfort her, but it was honest at least. She nodded and continued to read the story for the third time in a row. She heard Ludlov standing up and walking towards her. He glanced at the book on the desk in front of her. The Scriptura Sancta. She sighed, closed the book and slid it away from her over the desk. The story stayed the same no matter how many times she went over it. I don't see it, Ludlov. I've been through it twice. There's nothing there about evil magicians and dangerous languages unfit for human tongues. I don't understand. Well, let's take a look at the edition. He took the book and opened it on the first page. Then he immediately closed it again. As I thought. 1018. A pre-war Anitzian edition. These are getting rare. He respectfully lowered the book on the desk and sat down on the empty bed. Pre-war Anitzian? What does that mean? Ludlov rubbed his eyes with his thumb and forefinger. It means the church hasn't been herself for some centuries now. In fact, not since Seven Peaks was founded. But the city is over a thousand years old. Doctor made a strange noise in his sleep. 
For a moment, it looked like he was about to wake up, but then he shifted in his chair and continued his snoring. It was a strangely soothing noise in the background. Yes and no, Samina. The city itself is very old, more than a millennium and a half, but the name of Seven Peaks is not. Originally, this place was known as Evenenborg, as the land surrounding it is still called. The name of Seven Peaks was given when Cardinal Voronitz brought the Seven Sacred Stones. Samina put her elbow on the desk and rested her head on her hand. Her shoulder still hurt with every movement, but she tried to ignore it. What changed then? Why the sudden hatred for magicians? You have to know that not all magicians are as innocent as you are, Samina. Especially in the past. In the time when mages were held in high honor, there was terrible abuse of power from their side as well. From some of them, at least. All of this culminated when Sancta Gwendala revealed how deep the corruption and the reckless misuse of powerful spells really went. She brought the guilty to justice and destroyed the corruption. She was a magician herself, you know. And she was also the founder of my order, of the Witch Hunters. In the days that followed, distrust of magic users grew exponentially. This was the climate in the city when Cardinal Voronitz came to rule and found the Sacred Stones. The Seven Sacred Stones. Samina pondered his words. Seven Sacred Stones? I don't find any mention of those either. I read something about seven sacred forms, but nothing about stones. Ludlow suddenly smiled like he had found a friend. Already you are a more astute historical theologian than some in the Vox Dei. You are right. In the pre-Voronitian editions you will find no mention of the stones or of the wrath of the goddess aimed at any other than Lucas himself. I have often been chastised for bringing that up in my order. Suddenly it dawned on Samina. You don't believe in the stones, do you? It's impossible not to believe in the stones, Samina. There they are. It was a pathetically evasive response which she refused to dignify. She just kept looking at him. I admit it. I don't. I want to know why. Stones are the most lifeless things I know. I cannot believe that the virtues of the sacred maiden live on in this world through stones. And I can definitely not believe that these virtues constitute some sort of magical reservoir that can be exhausted by using spells. The whole tradition reeks of materialism to me. It pleased Samina to hear this. Her mother had educated her with similar values. Being magic-using gypsies, her family had never been devout in the sense of church-going, but they had always felt a deep connection to the maiden and to the goddess. Before meeting Ludlow, though, Samina had never thought about theology in such a theoretical way. Still, it is the doctrine of the church, isn't it? It's the doctrine of Voronitz's church. And there is no other, unfortunately. There was a brief time when things were different, you know. Not everyone accepted the story of the stones when the cardinal brought them to the city. That group of dissidents, 
the paleo-orthodox, as they were called, has all but slipped into oblivion now. Except for one remaining dissident? <laughs> Ludlove smiled. I'm not alone. There are theologians in the Brotherhood of Scripture who support this vision. Anyone who reads books from the past dealing with the days of Wolfen and of Wellham the White will discover it's impossible to deny that Arcanic, and magic in general, are directly connected to the goddess herself. He sighed, frustrated. Samina didn't say anything. She used magic, she spoke the language, and yet she had never really thought about any of these things. She was fascinated and relieved to think about something else than her mother's demise, the danger her friends were in, or the whereabouts of her brother. I believe magic is a beautiful thing, or at least I believe it can be. When I hear you speak Arcanic, Semina, I have to say, it touches me in my heart. Mere words, language, my mind, meeting your mind changing the world with nothing but will and creativity and the very breath from your lungs. How can that not come from a divine source? Samina was astonished at the passion in his voice. This man was nothing like the image she had held of him before. She knew that with full certainty now. What is someone like you doing in the ranks of the witch hunters, Ludlov? He looked at her. The black sickle. Samina nodded, somewhat disappointed. She had hoped for a deeper reply, something a bit more revealing. The picture still didn't make sense to her. He was a philosopher on the one hand, and a hunter on the other. She understood that he had these two sides, but one side contradicted the other. The philosopher was gentle and accepting, while the witch-hunter was single-minded and bitter. What do you think about all this, Samina? I'd like to know. She shrugged, though it flattered her that he had asked her opinion in such a sincere way. I'm a Sintra gypsy, Ludlov. I grew up in the wild until my mother took Sigurd and me to Seven Peaks. We grew up speaking Arcanic. I have used it my whole life. Its magic is very subtle, you know. For me it is, at least. And it doesn't always work. It takes great effort to do simple things. Occasionally, in times of great need, I can do more powerful things like making books float, heating cold objects or healing wounds. It's difficult, though. It's just a part of me that's always been there. Something entirely natural. I cannot change the course of destiny, turn people into willing slaves or, or alter time. To me, Arcanic was never so mystical. Maybe because I simply didn't think about it much. It's always been like that among the Sintra. And the Maiden? The story of the Maiden is dear to me. I have always felt close to her. I never considered the language had much to do with it. I always felt strongly about the sacrifice she made. What sacrifice do you mean? What sacrifice, Ludlov? There are gypsies with a better grasp on theology than you. He smiled, but kept waiting for a more detailed response. Surely you will not forget that the maiden was daughter to the goddess herself. Have you ever considered that part of the story? She could have resisted the onslaught of the evil. I'm sure of it. She was the direct descendant of the Almighty. Yet she allowed herself to be slain by Lucus, 
so that her blood and tears could descend onto the earth, so that she could aid mankind in its darkest days. Ludlow seemed to be pondering her words very seriously. The maiden sacrificed herself to infiltrate the earth, you mean? To be a hidden presence in a time when Lucas's evil spreads and corrupts mankind? To aid us? She smiled. That was it. Oh, I would love to believe that. It might be something worth considering, you know. Her words did not betray the passion of her conviction. It was not something she merely deemed worth considering. It was what she believed in her heart. It was what gave her strength even now. The thought that somehow, in some way, the maiden was still with them. Even after the death of both her parents and the disappearance of her brother, even in a time when she had narrowly escaped the clutches of death and the doom of all her people was near. Even now, a quiet inner reserve of strength helped her, and she believed the maiden was its source. The witch hunter nodded slowly. Thank you, Samina. You have given me much food for thought. Smirking vainly, Gorliwosk paced through the long, dark hallways of the Witch Hunter headquarters, the sound of his footsteps reverberating coldly. He passed a series of doors on the right, each separated from the next by a delicately carved lantern embossed on the wall. Together, the lanterns shed a steady light on the marble floor. The side to Gorliwosk's left was devoted to dozens of hatch windows. The hatches were all open, but behind the glass the city was shrouded by the night. Gorliwosk considered how unusual it was for the Grand General to summon him personally at this late hour. She had never done this before. He knew that this night marked the beginning of the Magicide, though, and he assumed it meant a special assignment for the Inquisitio Internis. He was quite looking forward to it. Gorliwosk reached the end of the hallway where a large double door was framed beneath a granite archway. The seven-peaked crown that symbolized the city was engraved in it, and beneath it was a phrase in lingua, Mundus vobis non appertinit. The world does not belong to you. These had been the words uttered by Sancta Gwendala moments before she had defeated Gunther Orff. She had referred to the magicians who had claimed the right to bend the will of nature and to subjugate their fellow men to their whims, rights no mortal could claim. Their corruption, 
a direct result of their hubris, had been ended that day. Thus, Sancta Guendala had become the very first witch hunter. Over the years, these words had grown into a motto for the order. The world was no idle plaything in the hands of magicians. Gorliwosk opened the door and entered the room. It was surprisingly dark there. Not a single candle was lit. He saw the slender, angular shape of Lady Hoskiv standing by the huge window that encompassed almost the entire wall opposite him. The left and right walls were invisible because they were entirely covered by bookcases. The books all seemed to be part of one enormous series because they all had the exact same brown leather spine with gold thread trimmings. The stone floor was as smooth and clean as a still pond, even though it was largely hidden beneath a huge rug with a complex pattern of maroon, gold and auburn. The only other furniture was a single comfortable-looking chair in a corner. My lady, Gorlivosk asked. Come here, she said, without turning from the window. Gorlivosk crossed the carpet to stand next to the Grand General. The world is about to change, Gorlivosk. Her gaze was fixed on the orange light in one of the seven peaks surrounding the cathedral, which from this vantage point could be admired in its full and awe-inspiring beauty. Quietly, innocently, meekly they surrender to their fate, the seven stones, but not for long. Gorlivosk didn't quite understand what she meant, but he remained silent. Cardinal Falkenberg is very ill. She turned and stared at the Inquisitor with a look that started to make clear to him what she was implying. It sent a shiver down his spine. He hasn't named a successor, and he refused to do so. And all the while, Ludloff... She had spoken that name through gritted teeth. Gorlivosk felt his heart beating fiercely. He knew very well what was happening. Still, he remained stoic, waiting for her command. The man is a traitor and a fugitive. You know what to do. The Inquisition in Ternus is exempt from participation in the Magicite. In its stead, your task will be this. Find Ludloff and bring him to me. Do you want him dead or alive, my lady? Alive, of course. His execution must be made a public event. Let all of Seven Peaks watch him burn. Let it be an inspiration to them. He has left the city and made for the outskirts, most likely. Begin your search there. Gorlivosk bowed and was about to leave the room, but Lady Hoskiv raised her hand, stopping him wordlessly. It irked him whenever he caught himself obeying her like a dog, but the awkward feeling subsided when he reminded himself of Lady Hoskiv's stature. After all, if the Cardinal were indeed to die, she would be the highest remaining authority in Seven Peaks. And that in itself did not frighten Gorlivosk. If anything, the Lady's ascent was a welcome one as far as he was concerned. Of course, the implications of the Cardinal's airless death were a different matter altogether. Gorlivosk, there's something else. When you find him, there will most likely be a girl with him. A Sintra Gypsy. No older than 18, maybe 20 years. Take her prisoner as well. I want her to burn with him.
that night, as Gorliwosk's Inquisitio troops left to find you and Semina, the Magicide Act was put in effect. It began with the marshalling of the witch hunters on the Grand Market in front of the cathedral. Lady Hoskiv briefly explained that task in straightforward words. She did nothing to awaken their hatred or bloodlust. Simple orders were enough. And so they left. Rudlove could see the grief in the timeless man's eyes. Grief for the dead? In the eyes of death himself? The screaming of their victims did not end until the sun had risen again. The hunters went from door to door with their torches and their blades, separating husbands from wives, parents from children. Here and there they found an empty home. Some who had received Falkrin's message had fled in time, but there were not many. Ludlove bent his head and clenched his teeth. The hunters were relentless in their executions. To some it was a feast. Destroying houses and slaying any who dared to resist gave them a satisfaction of hidden desires. Any who was suspected of witchcraft was sacrificed to the great flames without exemption. By the morning a vast black cloud hovered over seven peaks, and the smell of dead flesh came with it. I saw that cloud. Where were you then, Ludlov? Ludlov woke up alone. There was nobody else in Doctor's hut. In the pale light of morning, the place looked even poorer and messier than it had the night before. He rose from the floor and opened the door. In the muddy street in front of him, Doctor and Semina stood side by side, their backs turned to him. They were watching something in the distance, in the direction of the city. Ludlov took another step and then he saw it as well. A massive cloud of smoke drifted between the seven spires, giving the cathedral the appearance of a high mountain peak veiled by mist. Again, for the second time in a matter of days, the city was darkened by smoke. But this time, it wasn't the city itself that was burning. Ludlove laid his right hand on Samina's shoulder. When she turned to him, with wide, tear-filled eyes, Ludlove was startled. Her tears were bright silver. They looked like they were made of moonlight. He tried to ignore his confusion and looked at her simply with sympathy. She stiffened, her face as still as a statue for a moment. Then she pushed herself against his chest and burst into long cries of long-held sadness. Her voice was muffled by his clothes. He didn't quite know what to do. Very carefully, he put his arms around her. His gaze then turned to Doctor, who answered with a deeply saddened look of understanding. Then the old man started looking around him uncomfortably. There were several inhabitants of the outskirts on the streets right now, looking at the cloud. Ludlov caught their confused voices. Then he noticed how many of Doctor's neighbors were of Sintra descent. He put his hands on both of Semina's shoulders and very gently tried to move her away from his chest. She stepped back but kept her head down. He could see some silver tears falling to the ground. They looked like raindrops caught in a flash of lightning. 
he tried to find her eyes. Samina, Samina. She breathed in shakily and raised her face towards him, composing herself. Her cheeks, still paler than they used to be and covered with luminous tears, glistened in the morning light. Samina, Samina, these people aren't safe here anymore. The Magicide will come to this place. They have to flee. We will have to. You two are least safe of all here. I don't misunderstand me, but it's high time you both get out of here as fast as possible. You're right. Our presence brings danger to everyone here. Still, even when we are gone, the hunters will come, and they will not be merciful. I have read the Magicide Act, Doctor. Every armchair alchemist, every card reader will be reckoned with. Even ordinary people who have bought magical trinkets from the market will not be safe. Anyone who has ever been associated with magic now runs the risk of a fiery death. Don't worry. I will take care of them. I know where I can bring them where they will be safe. There's a cave in the south, near the road to Parslavena. Nobody will find us there, but I have to act quickly. I could join you as an escort... Samina shook her head at Ludlow's suggestion. The witch hunter raised his eyebrows in surprise. Samina looked past him, to some faraway place. The Wildwood. Both Ludlow and Doctor looked at her with confused frowns. Samina took a step past Ludlow to the eastern horizon where the woods loomed. The Wildwood. She suddenly seemed stronger and healthier than he had seen her even before the mayor had shot her. The conviction that now moved her had to be a powerful medicine indeed. If you want to learn more about the Black Sickle, Ludlow, then that is the road we must take. She looked him in the eye. Doctor came closer and put his hands on both their backs. Very good. Very good, very good. Go. Go. Go with my blessing and do not look back. Take your horse and ride away, Ludlow. I will bring these people to safety. So, that was this week's episode of Witch Hunter. We'll be back next Thursday with the adventures of Ludlow and Samina. If you want to find out more about Witch Hunter, you can find us at audio-epics.com and we also have a Facebook page, the Audio Epics Facebook page. Have a great week, everyone. <laughs>